Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. We are his representatives to the world around us. And beloved, that is a huge responsibility. If I call Christ my Savior, then I'm taking upon myself that responsibility also as a representative of his to the lost and dying world, as well as to other believers. John's words, they're going to be challenging. But I do believe that with the right understanding, a walk of obedience in our life, and that filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we'll see that these are not impossible words, but words that actually release us and give us great freedom. John issued a call to believers that feels impossible, but he desired that by his encouragement and the truth of the Holy Spirit speaking through him, his readers would not sin. He also wanted to convey to them the forgiveness and grace available to believers when we do sin. Pastor David explains John's reasons for writing his letters to the church. If you're a follower of Christ, you should feel the conviction to live a life of obedience and a desire to walk without sin. Ultimately, this should be your heart's desire. Now here's Pastor David as he continues his message, Intro to the John Epistles. I want to pick up where we left off, but I also want to bring to remembrance a couple of the things that we shared, just so we keep it all in the context. Again, what and why John is sharing what he is sharing. One of the first things I shared with you last week was the fact that although no name is mentioned in these books as far as who it's written from, it's the common consensus of, again, the church through the ages, that it was the Apostle John that wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. That's why they gave it that name. Again, it wasn't in the writing, but it was later on that they received that name. John, one of the sons of Zebedee, the brother of James, the same author of the Gospel of John, the book of Acts, the book of Revelation, all of those uh, John wrote. He is, as he's writing 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, he's an old man at this time, and he writes both as an apostle as well as a guy that's had a lot of pastoral experience pastoring over churches, encouraging and challenging people. The second thing we looked at last week is that some of the things that he writes are simply a, a direction of life for, for believers, a direction of life that you and I as believers need to have. If I call myself a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, there are things in life that need to be in your life. Again, it's about the choices that we make. It's about the, the prejudices that we need to put away. Our actions are very, very important, of utmost importance, I believe, as the testimony and literally the validation of our life and our faith in Christ. We can say one thing, but if we're walking another, John tells us the truth isn't in us. 
And so he really brings that home to us. Very important. Some of these are internal battles that the church faced, again, as they were growing and individual members, battles that were going on there, and John writes to them as a pastor in that case. The third thing, John also wrote about the outside attacks, the main battles that the church was facing at that time, false teachers, false doctrines that came in. We spoke last week about the teachings of Gnosticism, the idea that uh, real life only existed in the spirit. This included the idea that you're able to sin in the flesh and yet have no effect in your spirit. The Gnostics felt that they were totally separated. Gnostics also had the idea or the belief that they were the ones that possessed this elevated knowledge, a higher truth that only a few were able to obtain. And that higher truth wasn't obtained through the study of the Word of God, uh, but through some kind of a, a mystical realm that just suddenly they have that. Gnostics themselves, they saw themselves as a privileged class, elevated above everyone else. They had this deeper, richer knowledge than anyone else. They knew the divine like no one else did. Uh, Another area of concern for the church there was this idea of docetism. And that's the belief that Jesus did not have a real body. Not a real flesh and blood body. He just kind of looked like he was real, but there was nothing real to him. And without a real body, he couldn't have been tempted in the same way as we're tempted. Hebrews says that we have a high priest who is tempted in just the same way that we were, and yet without sin. Well, how could he be tempted if he didn't have a real flesh and blood body? Nor could he have been a real sacrifice. Because again, if it wasn't a real body that died, there was no sacrifice there. If there was no real blood that was shed that cleanses us from all sin, it makes it impossible to do what the scripture says that the sacrifice of Christ did if he did not have real flesh and blood. Then thirdly, we in that idea of conflicts and false teachings was this teaching of Serenthus. Now, Serenthus was a guy in that first century, kind of a form of Gnosticism. He was the one that brought about the teaching that God is so holy that he cannot have any kind of a direct dealings with human beings. Remember, we talked about he believed that it wasn't God that created the world and and humanity. No, it was a lesser God that did that. And he taught that Jesus was born only as a human. He was only as a human, that Joseph was his real father, Mary his mother. There was no divinity at his birth. Serenthus taught that the divine Christ literally came upon the man Jesus at the baptism when the Holy Spirit descended, and that's where he gets his teaching on that. So all of these teachings, as well as a lot of others during that time, they were settling into the church in a powerful way, and so John wrote to combat all of these heresies that were coming and leading people astray. We also spoke of the fact that the truth that's necessary for you and I and for the church as believers to grow was both a learned truth as well as an imparted truth. The believer was responsible to to grow in the knowledge of the truth through this consistent uh, and faithful study of the word of God. It's your individual responsibility. We can't just sit back and say, God, if you want me to grow, you know, grow me. 
No, we are given responsibilities. And also there are times, though, when the Holy Spirit does come and he will impart truth to the faithful, to the obedient servants of God, supernaturally working in our lives, giving us a fullness of understanding beyond our experience, like getting a a check in the spirit. And some of you have experienced that. Man, just something's going on, and suddenly there's a check in your spirit. You don't really understand why or what it is, but you feel very uncomfortable in that situation. We speak about it as a discerning of spirits, the gift of discernment. Again, God works and does that within believers' lives. Then I shared with you, on top of that, we find in the context of the main body of his teachings, uh, I talked about four direct statements that John gave about why he is writing this letter. And I gave that to you as homework. We'll look at those. And one of the things, hopefully you got your Bible with you, turn to the book of 1 John, share with you these four things as we get into still kind of the overview tonight. The first one, we're going to look at chapter 1, and again, we're not going to get into a verse-by-verse study tonight. We're just going to kind of still looking at some overviews of things. There in 1 John chapter 1, look with me, if you would, at verses 3 and 4. John writes, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. I look at it that for you and I and literally for every believer, when we're walking in the truth, in the fellowship, and in the knowledge that comes from a growing relationship with God, and we are experiencing him on a daily basis, guess what? Our joy becomes full. And I look at these two, and they, for me, they center in on that idea. I'm writing these things that your joy may be full. If we're troubled by every wind of doctrine, like, ooh, that sounds good, let me look at that. And over here, there's another weird doctrine. Oh, I'm gonna go follow that for a while, and suddenly I'm over here. Then suddenly, we're being pulled around by every new wave of belief that comes up. And believe me, they come up on a regular basis, the next new thing. And if you're following after this and after that and searching after this and that, guys, there's no peace in your life. Only this continual struggle to find the next new, the next exciting thing. Oh man, the truth of God's word isn't exciting enough for me. I need something new. I need something as far. Man, if the word of God isn't exciting enough for you, then you need to probably look and see what spirit is really driving you. Again, this whole idea Literally, it is, and I shared it last week. It's the oldest trick of the enemy. He did the very same thing in the garden when he told Eve, oh, did God really say that? Come on. And in essence, what Satan was saying to Eve is that God wasn't enough. God's word wasn't enough. God's word wasn't sufficient. And because of that, in the end, it's not really true because what God said, that's, he's not really going to do that. You see, that's the lie of the enemy. But when Adam and Eve bit into that lie, the joy that they had been experiencing in their life up to that time, suddenly they lost it. And they began walking in fear, remember? They were hiding. 
You see, it takes away the joy of our life when we walk in disobedience, when we listen to the lies of the enemy, when we go searching after every other thing other than the truth and the validity and the foundation that comes from believing and knowing and studying the word of God. In response to those false teachers, to those false doctrines that were coming out, Jesus himself said that the thief has come in to kill and to steal and to destroy, but that he himself, that Jesus came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. And that abundant life is the fullness of joy that Jesus promises those that are following him, that are faithful in their following, and again, that are, that are hungering for the things of his kingdom. Here in 1 John, John wants the church to recognize the liars. Stand up and say, no, what he's saying, what he's teaching, it's a lie. I'm not going to follow after that. John wants to make sure that the church is walking in fellowship with God because he wants the church to walk in truth, not the schemes and the plans and the latest, greatest things, but the word of truth that, again, continues on, that remains and has been here for us. He knows that only then can we really have that true joy, unspeakable, full of glory in our lives. When we are walking faithful, when we are walking obedient, and when we are walking according to the word of God. That's number one, why John wrote this. Number two, look in chapter two, verse one. John says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I write to you that you may not sin. I don't know about you, but that's a great challenge. Amen? To walk without sin is a challenge. I mean, sin hits us continually. I mean, everywhere we turn. Not only the opportunity, but even the pressure to sin. Staring us right in the face. Situations in the world, situations of our own flesh, the lies of the devil, all of these things that come. And John deals with all of those as he writes here in 1 John. Some, even as believers, walking in habitual sin. Some because of addictions. Others just simply out of lifelong choices. And they're just in the routine and it's so difficult to break out of that. When we get to this section, again, in our verse-by-verse study, I believe the Lord will open up our eyes to be able to see, to really understand not only what God's perfect will is for us as his children and as his representatives. Don't ever forget that. We are not only his children, but we are his representatives to the world around us. And beloved, that is a huge responsibility. If I call Christ my savior, then I'm taking upon myself that responsibility also as a representative of his to the lost and dying world, as well as to other believers. John's words, they're gonna be challenging. But I do believe that with the right understanding, a walk of obedience in our life and that filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we'll see that these are not impossible words, but words that actually release us and give us great freedom. And we'll look at that when we get to that portion of the scripture. The third reason I believe that John wrote this uh, is still in chapter two down in verse 26. 
John writes, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. And again, as I shared earlier, the first century church had so many enemies, so many different attacks. The world around them was against them, and even within the church, these false teachers just abounded. They're literally coming out of the woodwork, and it would seem these guys would rise up wanting to get a crowd around them, and so they would introduce this new teaching, and itching ears would follow after those teachings, and it would draw people away. It would draw them again into error, and that's why John says, I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Guys, how the church ever survived to this point is truly a miracle of God because there was so much that the enemy was throwing at the church continually, continually. But what does the word say? Greater is he that is in me, in us, than he that's in the world. The enemy can do everything he can, and he does. He throws every tool in his box, every weapon that he has against you, against the church, against the validity of the word of God. But one of the things that we've seen, historically, even as the attacks came against the word of God, the word of God has prevailed. Historically, as, again, the attacks came against the church itself, the church has had some dark times. Don't be deceived. The church has had some really dark times. But even through that, there has always been underneath that the true church that has, again, prevailed through it all. And in and through that true church, we see, again, the Spirit of God working and moving in powerful ways. We need to remember, it wasn't just the first century church that had all of these issues. Beloved, the 21st century church has the very same issues. And it's still only by that miraculous hand of God that we're able to survive and that we're able to thrive and that we're able to make an impact within the communities that we live. Rather, that community is, again, just your neighborhood, your family, your workplace, your school, whatever it might be. God has called for us as his children to not only survive, but to thrive and to make an impact for the hope of the gospel. Knowing the truth for you and I as believers is absolutely necessary for our maturity and for our growth. To have a little bit of truth becomes a very dangerous thing because almost every false religion has a little bit of truth. That's the hook that gets people. And that's why you and I need to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to know also the tactics of the enemy. What is it that the enemy is doing that would cause me to stumble? What is it that that I personally am vulnerable to? You don't think the enemy knows your vulnerabilities? You bet he does. If you're leaning more toward a legalistic mindset, you just need in your life more rules and structure, the enemy's gonna give you all the rules and all the structure you want, and then some. If you say, oh no, man, I, I want the freedom in Christ. I don't want, the, the enemy's gonna draw you into the freedom that really now you've gotten in trouble. You've gotten too free at that point in time. So again, Paul says in your freedom, man, don't sin and don't cause others to sin. 
knowing the truth, absolutely necessary, but knowing the tactics of the enemy in order that we might guard our souls, our spirits against the deceitfulness and against all of his trickery. And John wanted to be certain that the church itself was not deceived. The fourth thing, chapter five, and one of the, I think one of the most powerful things, and I love this verse. Chapter five, verse 13, John says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you might know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, one of the things we talked about are these two words that are translated in our English language as to know. One is the Greek word gnosko. Gnosko, again, is a growing knowledge. I'm coming to know you. I'm growing in my knowledge. There's another word, though. It's oida, O-I-D-A. Oida is the idea and the understanding of I know. I'm not growing. No, I already know it. I've already come to the fullness of the knowledge, to have a full and complete knowledge of the fact. And that's the word that John uses here. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know without any doubt, without any uncertainty, that you might have a concrete understanding, fully firm under your feet that cannot be knocked, cannot be rocked, cannot be swayed, that you have eternal life and that you might continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Even today, some within the Christian community, they, they declare, well, you can't really know for certain that you're saved. You can't really find rest in the assurance of eternal life. And yet here, John says that one of the very reasons that he writes this letter to the church, again, is in order that we might know for certain our eternal state. But you also need to understand that John assures us that it's not through parroting some special prayer. It's not simply the association with a particular group of people or a denomination or even a particular church. You don't gain eternal life by signing a membership card, gang. That's not how you gain eternal life. Throughout this whole letter, he says that there are particular things that you and I should be looking for in our own personal lives that help to give us that assurance of our eternal status. I remember when I was very young in the Lord, struggling in some areas Struggling then, still struggle today. Uh, But in in my younger life, struggling in some areas, and you know, the doubt or the fear, man, I don't even know if I'm saved or not. The response that uh, a pastor gave me back then was, well, did you pray to receive Christ? And confess your sins, pray to receive Christ. And I said, yes, I did. Uh, That spring evening in 1970, actually, at Veterans Memorial Coliseum up in Phoenix, after a revival, a crusade there, I prayed to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, is God a liar? No, he's not a liar. Then you're saved. That's it. I said, okay. 
Would you like to listen again to today's message? You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David in The Open Word at theopenword.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss the latest edition of the program. Right now, let's check back in with Pastor David for an invitation. I'm so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. And as you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and the love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. The teachings you've been listening to here were originally messages I shared with the congregation at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Do you happen to live in this area? If so, please come join me this weekend for a time of worship, prayer, reading the Bible, and just getting to know one another through fellowship. You'd be able to find all the information you need, the service times and directions too, at our website, theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel Casa Grande link at the bottom of the page. See you there. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment before we close to ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word as well. Would you pray for us? We know the enemy isn't happy about the truth of the gospel being spread, and he's going to do all he can to stop us. Please pray for all of us here that we'd keep our eyes only on Jesus all the time. Would you also join us in praying for the listeners of The Open Word? Pray that hearts would be open to the gospel and that lives would change. Thanks for partnering with us in this, and thanks for listening to The Open Word. Make us more.